This is a Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. You may have been expecting our friend Frank Ostaseski. He wasn't able to come. I just found out uh, two hours ago. So I'll, and I'll explain more uh, during the talk, but let's begin with uh, meditation. Please uh, establish your seating posture and then we'll begin. It's very helpful to sit upright, whether you're on a chair or a cushion or a bench, so that your back is relatively straight without being stiff. And letting your awareness, letting your attention turn inside so that you're feeling or sensing or being mindful of the body sitting here. And as you become aware of the body, see if you can relax any, any part of the body that may be holding any tightness or tension that's easily relaxed. And a few parts that people like to check, especially the jaw. or the shoulders. Or the belly. You don't have to tighten anything extra for the meditation. What's key, what we're doing is staying aware and awake. And so it's not so helpful to fall asleep during the meditation. So if you notice you get sleepy, which is easy to happen on a Sunday night, then open your eyes and sit more upright or stand up. 
This is all part of the first foundation of mindfulness, being mindful of the body. The posture, the position of the body, the posture, and the energy of the body, relaxed or tight, and the awakeness of the body, or the sleepiness of the body. Mostly it means to simply be aware or feel or sense the body sitting here. Everything else be in the background for the moment. Thoughts or feelings or ideas or beliefs or even your expectations, which you may have had for Frank to be here. Letting that be in the background. You don't have to get rid of it, but putting the body in the foreground as we land in the life And as we become present, aware, awake to the body, of course, it's very normal to be aware of the fact that the body is breathing and that life is uh, inspired with each in-breath. And then with each out-breath, we relax to let go, we expire. And letting our self get very close, very intimate with the body sitting here breathing. It's a way to develop a sense of composure, collectedness, centeredness. And it's fine to continue with just being with the body and the breathing, if you wish for the whole meditation. If you feel composed now or in a few minutes or moments, then you can open the space of awareness to include whatever's predominant, whatever's in the foreground of awareness there be sounds, even the sound of my voice is just a sound. Or if you're thinking about what I'm saying, maybe the thoughts are in the foreground, you can be aware of the process of thought. 
or if you're having some emotion, if you're feeling sad that Frank's not here, you can be aware of the sadness, the emotion which comes on its own, similar to the thoughts doing themselves. And we can begin to rest in the awareness that knows whatever is here in this human experience that's alive in this moment. So you may be aware of the body or the breath, or you may be aware of other sensations in the body, comfortable or uncomfortable. The body may feel light or heavy, or the feelings and emotions, moods that could arise, or the process of thinking. Noticing when we get enchanted with our thoughts, mesmerized by our thoughts, instead of simply observing them. When we notice we become enchanted, be aware of the enchantment itself, rather than what you're enchanted by. And of course, other states of consciousness can arise, a sense of peace or openness or the simplicity of just being relaxed here now. Or the joy of being in the present moment, with the present moment aware of the present moment as it displays itself now. And our task is very simple to be aware, to be here with whatever is here, whether we'd like it or not, whether we want it or not, whether we enjoy it or not, you don't have to change that. You don't have to change enjoying something or not enjoying something, liking something or not liking something. The meditation practice simply asks us to be aware of what's exactly here now, whatever it be, and to be aware of that. Moment by moment by moment, resting in the space of awareness in which everything is known.
And of course, it's very helpful every once in a while to just turn the attention and recognize not just what you're aware of, but what is aware of what you're aware of. Being aware of the awareness itself. in a very relaxed way. Being mindful of, being inclusive of the magic of human reality that's sitting in your seat right, right now. Moment by moment by moment. If you start to fall asleep, stand up.
So again, good evening and welcome everybody. Um, uh, surprised to be here. I didn't expect to be here tonight because Frank was going to lead the group and I got a text about four o'clock or 4.30 saying he'd, uh, he'd had a problem with his vision and it, it's been one of the uh, impacts of the two strokes he had last year is around his vision and his vision has been compromised but but he's been you know in many ways fine it's sometimes up and down but um something happened so i got a note from his wife saying that she was taking him to the emergency room just to see what was going on and she would get back to me and i haven't heard yet exactly what's happened so but i'm a little concerned and and we'll send our good wishes to Frank and, uh, you know, may he be well. Uh, and I'll just, and I wasn't expecting to give a talk today and I just finished teaching a six day retreat yesterday. And uh, it's, it was great. It was a great retreat and uh, really fun. 150 people on retreat for um, six days, but, there, um, there, um, uh, uh, it's tiring to teach retreat. There's a lot going on in addition to giving instructions and formal teachings and, uh, <clears throat> and seeing people in groups and then working with the team that I was working with, uh, it was just busy. So I was happy to have a day off today. And uh, I don't quite have a day off, but it's okay. This is not a bad not day off um, thing to do. But I thought what I would do was give the, I, I gave a, a, a talk about love. Um, actually, I believe I gave a talk two weeks ago about welcoming the new year with love. And I gave a talk about love, not the same talk, but a different talk at the retreat for the last talk of the retreat. And I thought I would, I would uh, improvise on that talk. It won't be the same, but I have it here. And, and uh, so I, and I just, there was so much love at the retreat, really, that's what happened. So much love arose for people, whoever they were. Everybody in the retreat was feeling it in different ways and different times. And of course, the most important thing people loved was actually right being here, really being here, not being half here, not being partially here, but being fully here in this moment. And so I would encourage you to see what happens if you give yourself to being here in this moment, which is, of course, part of the way to do the meditation is give yourself to what's happening and be aware of it and see what happens. And then the magic of the Dharma can unfold, can reveal itself. And um, um, so I was, you know, thinking about Frank actually, and really sending my good wishes and my love. I mean, I love Frank. I've known him for, I can't even remember how long I've known Frank, 40 years now, long time. And, I, you know, I worked with him at Zen Center at, at hospice. 
Zen Hospice Project, which was literally in Zen Center when it first started, when I became part of it. And, uh, and you know, and we've had a long relationship, like any relationship that's had it's all, you know, all the ups and downs that relationships have. Um, but there's always been a lot of love. And uh, even when there were times when we didn't like each other, there's still love. And it's one of the beautiful things about love is love is not just about liking. It's, it's a much more essential component of reality, love. It's much more fundamental to the heart and mind that's free is the, the you know, the, the Brahma Viharas, right? The four divine abodes in Buddhism, which is technically, you know, metta, karuna, uh, um, uh, mudita nupeka, which is loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, and they're really they're really expressions of the heart is free. That's free, and I would imagine you've all had that experience when your heart's free and you feel some kind of love or care or delight or balance in being with somebody. What, wherever they're at, whether they're happy or sad, you, you feel the compassion for them or you feel the kindness for them or you feel the love for them or you feel the equanimity with their difficulty. You just see it's just part of the deal if you're a human being that you're gonna have difficulty. And it doesn't mean you're not empathic about it, but it doesn't mean you're, you're um, attached to they should feel some other way because none of us are in control about what we feel. That's part of the magic of reality. It just appears and changes and disappears on its own. And um, I think there's some people here who were on the retreat actually, now that I look, I was just looking and I welcome them because it wasn't the technically it wasn't a Buddhist retreat. It was a diamond approach retreat. But the practice that my co main colleague and I, Sandra Maitri, have both practiced forever is Vipassana. But also she's done a lot of Tibetan practice as I have done, not as much as her, but I've done a bunch and with her even in the Tibetan uh, world. But um but it was very much uh, very similar to a Vipassana retreat. Sit, walk, eat, piss, shit, that's it. That's all you're doing there is just being, is just being alive and be aware of the life that's here, which is of course is the life that's sitting here right in this moment that I was pointing at in the instruction in the meditation. We want to be with this life, which is magical and beautiful and wonderful. And even though it's, of course, difficult at times, but there's a kind of, when we're here, there's a love or there's a presence or there's a goodness that arises when we're here, no matter what, no matter what. And Frank knows about that. Frank knows about that really well because he spent so many years working with people who were dying and working with the people who were grieving about their dying, their family and friends and 
children and everybody. I mean, and he learned so much about equanimity, about being with death, because death is normal. And you, you see it when you work in hospice. You see that everybody's going to die. It's normal. It's not a mistake. It's one of the hardest things for us to realize as human beings. And of course, somewhere on the retreat, I talked a little about death and people asked me and I told them. So I'll tell you, I'm teaching a Maranasati mindfulness of death retreat at Spirit Rock in, uh, I believe in March. Yeah, I believe in the middle of March somewhere. And of course, when I say at Spirit Rock, technically we're not at Spirit Rock physically, but it will be through Spirit Rock on Zoom on mindfulness of death. And so we were teaching so much in the retreat about being right where you were and be aware of it. And then I saw this cartoon from the New Yorker and it showed a couple and they're, they're looking at their big screen TV and on the, at, and the, the text from the, from the TV says, the following contains scenes of people not accepting what they cannot change. The following contains scenes of people not accepting what they cannot change. V viewer discretion advised, right? Which it was better there because I, the people who were doing tech, I had them actually put the, the cartoon up and I couldn't, I couldn't forget how to do it here. But it's really like, that's what we're mostly doing is we're mostly not accepting what we cannot change, right? And the paradox is as soon as we accept it, even if we can't change it, we have a different relationship to it, even with the dukkha, even with the difficulty, even with the, the dissatisfaction that may be there, we start to have a different relationship even to the dissatisfaction. And so when I was talking about love at the retreat, I, I asked people, I said, you know, of course, what do you love? And of course, I'm asking all of you, what do you love? Because I believe you all love something. And, uh, and it was fun because I asked my colleagues who I was working with, which was, there were three teachers, uh, four teachers really, including the yoga teacher. And then two, two uh, people who were doing the Zoom for us who were great. And, uh, and they said the most interesting things. One, one of the women said, I love my husband. And one woman said, I love my girls. She has two daughters. Another person said, I love music. Another person said, I love gloriousness. I love gloriousness. And another person, which was my, now my favorite answer, what this person said, he said, I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> and I love that. I love that he loved peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it's so nothing, but you can love nothing because it's so good. And I'm not even a peanut butter and jelly guy. That is not my, my uh, attachment food wise, but you can love peanut butter. I love that somebody can love peanut butter and jelly. And maybe some of you do. We can put you in your own tradition of peanut butter and jelly awakening, you know, of awakening the heart through peanut butter and jelly.
and so we're talking about love and I'm asking you now, and somebody put a nice big flower up because I believe that love flowers, that may not be true, but I love flowers. And I, and I also spoke a lot about loving nature. I love nature these days. And as many of you know, I live next to Golden Gate Park and I spend a lot of time in nature. Nature is so beautiful and magical and alive and wild and just doing its own thing. And it's right where it is. It's just like we're learning in meditation. Can we be right where we are? Nature knows how to be right where it is. The tree is right where it is. It's not going anywhere else. It's not doing anything. It's not fixing itself. It's not judging itself, which is a really important way we cut off from our love and our heart is by self-judgment and self-criticism. And so, um, you know, it's not only what do you love, but what's here, what's alive here when you love. Right? And I'll say that again. You can think about what you love. And when you feel it, what's here? What is it that's loving something? Because that love is in you. Even though you may, one may, and we may feel it towards somebody else or something else, or, you know, the trees or the plants or the animals, our pets, or our children, or our parents, or our community, or our family, or whoever it might be, whoever it might be uh, offered to, or who stimulates it, the love is still right here. And can we be aware of the love itself that's alive in your heart, mind, and body? And I include all three because it's not just an abstract concept love. It's a felt sense reality that we can know directly. And that's true of almost any reality in the Dharma as we start to become more composed and collected in our awareness in any moment. We can begin to start to unify with what's here. And so I was talking about different things I loved. And of course, this was in the Diamond Approach, the retreat, and I love the Diamond Approach. And there were people that I loved in the Diamond Approach. My first teacher there, Alia Johnson, who's now dead. And I totally miss her and grieve her, but even the grief is an expression of my love for her, for Alia, who is totally a wild woman and really fun, my, my kind of fun. I mean, a little out of the box kind of person and, and very deep and, you know, a little goofy. And I like goofy. I'm pretty goofy myself, so I can appreciate goofy. And of course, um, I love the Dharma and I love my teachers in the Dharma and the teachings of the Dharma and the truth, which Dharma means truth. And of course, I've read this quote many times, but I'll read it again. The gift of truth is the most precious gift. The taste of truth is the sweetest taste. The love of truth is the greatest love from the Buddha, right? The gift of truth is the most precious gift. When we give what's real, 
of ourselves, of what we know, of what we see, not only to others, but just to ourselves when we're truthful with ourselves about what's here and what's not here in a kind way, because the kindness is part of the realm of love. And then the taste of truth is the sweetest taste. It's like, oh, we don't have to have anything else when the truth is here and alive, because there's nothing else. There's actually everything else is not the truth. What's here? Wow, somebody's not muted. I think, yeah, I think it's, there it is. I'm muting Mr. or Miss or Ms. or they iPhone was not muted, who, who probably just joined the call. Hello. And, um, and of course, the love of truth is the greatest love because it's a love that frees us. It's a free, it frees us what's what, from what's not true, from what's not real, from what's not honest. And it's so uh, basic the love of truth. And it is one of the beautiful things about both Buddhism, as the Buddha said, the love of truth is the greatest truth. And also in the diamond approach, the love of the truth is one of the key principles in both traditions that I'm in and teach in both. So, and I was thinking about, um, you know, what does that mean to love the truth, even when it's difficult? And I thought about loving the the difficulties in my psyche, like psychological difficulties, which of course I have, human beings have, right? And so I, I looked up the word psyche. And why did I work, look up psyche? Because I love words. And psyche meant soul or spirit or essence or consciousness or being, or mind, or awareness, or intellect. I mean, those are beautiful understandings of our psyche. And I love that because, I, and I love the word, and the word has so much, the word flowers when we actually know more about the word. I found that to be true of most words when I look them up. And of course, I always like to see the etymology of words and where they came from, because where do, where do words come from? Does anybody know? Like who said the first word? I guess that's God, but you know. Aside from God, who said the, who said the second word? Right? Does anybody have any idea? Like, when did people? How did people? How did human beings make up words? And did they, or did they just come? Right? Because we notice animals, other animals. We are also animals. They have their own language, and they speak to one another. And they didn't go to school to speak to one another. Have you noticed that? They weren't, they weren't taught the words in a nice classroom with good books or a bad classroom and bad books either way. But they know how to speak to one another. And so the magic of reality when we're present for what's true, whether it's humans or animals, language is something I love. And love brings a kind of devotion and interest and curiosity and discovery to reality. 
you know, when we quote, fall in love, which is mostly how humans like to think about love, we fall in love. You, you know, has anybody here ever fallen in love? Raise your hand if you've fallen in love. Nobody, just me? Oh, come on, you know, okay, a few people. And have anybody ever stood in love or anything instead of falling? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I have a different screen now because I had to get a bigger screen, not a screen, a bigger Zoom thing for, uh, um, for this retreat. So I actually have 50 people on the, uh, on the um, screen now. But I, of course, not everybody was raising their hand. And I can't even say, I still, we have 75 people here. So, and a lot of people, I just get to see their names or their pictures because they're shy about being seen alive, but that's okay. Um, uh, so as I was saying earlier, part of what I love about the park and nature and the goodness and the blessing and the magic of life was, uh, I may have said this once before, when I was recovering from my, my accident, which I didn't love having an accident, but I did love being alive, right? I didn't love having the accident, which was horrible, but, but being alive, still good, even when it's very difficult. It was very, very difficult after the accident, meaning I could barely walk up and down the stairs to my house or, or function for quite a while. And that was hard, but I still, the life that was here was good. And uh, one time at night, my wife and I, we walk in the park and I, we walked in the park and, and all of a sudden there was this big bird like about 20 feet from us, just staying in place out in the air, you know, waving the, the bird's wings. And then very slowly it went and landed at a post, which was about 10 feet from us, a big concrete post near where we were standing. And it just, and with its back to us, and it just stayed there and it was big bird. We weren't quite sure what it was. We thought we knew. And then it went and did this. It went just like this. I, I can't do it because it's a different animal. But it went like this with its head. It turned its head all the way around and looked at us because it was a big owl. It was a white owl. And it went, and it looked at us, checked us out. It knew we were okay. And then it turned its head around and didn't pay any attention to us. And it was just beautiful. The, the beauty of nature, the magic of nature is here when we encounter it. What else do I want to say? So the magic, I'm saying stuff about magic. I do have something about the magic and beauty of people and and uh, originality of people, the magic of people. Where does that come from? Where does the new come from? I love that Lady Gaga sang at the, at the um, uh, inauguration. Anybody else notice that? That Lady Gaga sang? Nobody else? Anybody else? One, two, three. <laughs> wow, you, you missed something. Come on, I mean, what could be better? I mean, America, it, which is a very strange place sometimes, 
great that we could have Lady Gaga at the inauguration. You can put your hands up, down. Thank, thank you. I, but um, really, it was so great to see her because she's really original. Like, where did Lady Gaga come from? And who is Lady? What is Lady Gaga? Right? Because she's so unique, meaning she's just herself, which if we look closely at ourselves, we are each unique, actually. There's nobody else like you, even if they are similar or look close to you or something like that. It's, we're all totally unique and we forget the magic of who and what we are, the uniqueness of who we are. And for many years and still, I love jazz and I love improvised music. And I think of it as the, as the music of originality, like it comes out of nowhere. People improvise and they make music out of nowhere. It's not written down. They're not following a script. They may have a context in their ear about the music and how to play because they're playing together, but they just improvise. And, the, and some of my heroes who I love and still love, even though I don't listen to so much once in a while, you know, uh, John Coltrane or Ornette Coleman or Cecil Taylor or Eric Dolphy or Charlie Mingus or Thelonious Monk or, I mean, they're just, they're just uh, magicians with music and ma magicians in the highest sense. Actually, I just ordered a book about magic in Buddhism. So I'll have more to say about that soon. I want to read about that. It's not highly publicized. So loving the truth and the, and the magic of the originality of the truth of what's here, of life, of beauty, of discovery, All right? And of course I mentioned, right, the four Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, which are expressed in so many different flavors, whether it's appreciation or sweetness or kindness or warmth or fire or passion. There's a kind of fiery love when we care about somebody. Uh, when we love somebody passionately, it's a passionate love. And it's, you know, and then there's friendliness and compassion and composure and the whole sense of being really one with what we love and the flavor of how we love, that it's not just one flavor. And again, love doesn't mean like either. Of course, I think many people here are probably happy about the new administration, you know, and some of you may not be, some of you may be Trump uh, supporters, but uh, there's been a big change and whether you like the change or not, that's what's here now. And how do we work with it? How do we practice with it? How do we live with it from the depth of our being, from the depth of our wisdom that the Dharma offers? And that's a very radical teaching, very radical teaching. The truth for its own sake, because really when you love the truth fully, when you love what's real, 
fully, even if you don't like it, there's a selflessness inherent in that love. We're not loving it because we like loving it. We're loving it because it's true. It's the Dharma, it's bigger than us. And we're appreciating something that's not self. Let's see if there's any, I have so much here from the talk the other night. Uh, I th I'm going to do the same closing I did on the talk because I, I really love that. Let's see. Um, yeah, I'm going to end with a poem by David White, which maybe I even read this couple weeks ago, but I'm just loving it because partly because I love freedom. Like that's one of the words I love, freedom. And I've loved it clearly for me since I was 13 and 14. I love freedom in all its forms. And I love the Dharma because it brings freedom. It frees us. It frees us from our misunderstanding. It frees, frees us from our confusion. It frees us from what's called delusion in Buddhism. And it frees us from ourselves also. This is from David White. He says, when your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your eyes are tired, the, your the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love, right? When your vision has gone, no, no part of the world can find you. It is time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. The world was made to be free and give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. So those are a few thoughts about love kind of post-retreat, post, yeah, post-retreat talk, talk, I'm tired. <laughs> Uh, and I love to hear your questions and comments. Somebody had their hand up before. It might not be up anymore. Please raise your hand. Go to the, don't go to chat. I don't read chat when I'm teaching, sorry. But if, um, but if you could raise your hand, you either go to the participants button on your Zoom and there's a, and click that and there'll be a place to raise hand or you go to the reactions if you have a newer 
Zoom. And I'd like to hear from everybody. And if you've never spoken or been here before, doesn't matter, speak. It's when the Dharma comes very alive when we all when we all engage. And so I'll, and I'll take people in order. So Paul, please unmute yourself. Unmute yourself, Paul. Can you unmute yourself, Paul? Can you hear me, Paul? <laughs> Paul, you're not responding. Let me see what's happening here. Mute. Eugene, if you're the admin, you can unmute him. Yeah, I know. Okay, but it says unmute. They can unmute themselves. Okay, I think Paul unmuted. No, he didn't. Okay, let me try to unmute Paul. I'm not seeing how to, un oh, yeah, you're on. Paul, are you gonna speak? He's frozen. Okay, let's go to Happy. Happy, can you unmute yourself? There you go, yes. hi, Happy. Hi, long time no see, Eugene. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, gonna yeah. I'm gonna switch to speaker view now, okay. Now speak again, please, so I can see you. Oh, no, I'm yeah. pinned. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear can you, you now. Me? I can see you. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah, Hi. I feel like our retreat was literally a year ago around this time at Spirit Rock. So it's great to be back virtually. Great. Um, yeah, I think what you shared today was just so, so spoke to what happened during my, during the meditation. I just felt... There are so many things that, like, I was dealing with that, like, I wish I don't have those things to deal with. Like, I've been feeling a lot of stress in work and, like, housing situation, the COVID situation. I just noticed this sense of, like, not being able to accept what is what is my reality and constantly, oh, I wish things are more simple for me. Right. So... Uh, I'll make one little suggestion, which okay. is try to stay in the little moment because moment by moment, you're mostly fine. Mm. Like just this moment, you're okay, no matter what's happening. Mm. Right? And yes. that can start to bring more composure so that you're here, so you can deal more with the complexity of reality which is also true. Mm, so to remind myself to feel in that moment by moment, things are yeah. okay. Yeah, and I'll tell you how I do it. I do it by staying very close to my body. Did you hear me? Wow. Um, we're up having technical problems. There you go. Are you okay? Okay. Yeah, I don't. Okay. So um, what I said was something like, if you stay in the present moment, in the simplicity of just this moment, it gives you more composure to deal with the complexity, and and reality is complex at times. Mm -hmm but you're still right here no matter where you are. You're only right here. There's no place else we can actually be except we can be lost in our thoughts and our fear and, our, and, and what we wanna do is be aware of it. 
instead of okay. just be be caught in it. Mm, so be aware that I was ruminating yeah. with thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you if you need to contemplate something, ruminate for a while and just say, okay, I'm going to ruminate now. What the hell do I do about this situation? I'm not happy. I don't like it. Da, da, da. Oh, there's a lot of feeling. Let me feel all that feeling. Let me just feel it so I can be here with what's here. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Okay. Thank Great. you. Great. Okay. Thank you. Good to see you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now, now you mute yourself again. Thank you. And Lori, unmute yourself. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, and I can see you too, Great. even better. Hi. Good. So this is um, related to your, you know, you mentioned the psyche. Uh -huh. um, and I'm a very psychologically minded person. So I'm all the time thinking about the thoughts that I'm having and the feelings that I'm having and making connections to my past and what, you know, why am I having that particular thought or feeling, how is it related to what's going on in my current life, right? So I'm, I'm always making these connections and getting a lot of insight doing that. Right, that's a I great skill you have. Okay, really yeah, I realize that's that's different than what meditation is. Yes. Um, so my question is about when is the time and place for each of them? Right. And how are they, how is the insight that I'm getting through my psychological process different than the insight that you get through meditation and uh, yeah yeah well they may not be so different okay it could actually happen both ways that you can get insights just by sitting and not doing anything and something just comes mm. and it happens and it, it, we don't do insight mm. it does itself and we start to see that the the intelligence of the human being is not just in the mental processes, but it's in the mind and heart and body. Three main centers that are taught in Buddhism is the belly or the hara, and then the heart of compassion, and then the eye of wisdom, the third eye. Right? And they all have intelligence in them. And so when we sit and we get here, they have the opportunity to keep flowering more fully. And they reveal, and the Dharma reveals its own both psychological and beyond psycho psychological wisdom. And you don't, and therapy and psychology is great. They're both, they're both seeking the same thing, which is freedom from suffering. Mm -hmm. and, and so they're very harmonious that way. And whatever kind of suffering you have, let go of it. If you let go of it through, through uh, meditation, great. If you let go of it through psychology, great. If you let go of it through whatever, I'm not saying this is you, but being in 12 step or a support group, great whatever it might be, the skillful means are less important than the reality of what's here as our body, heart, mind opens. 
because what's here is magical. Does that make sense, what I'm pointing at? It does. Yeah, I think I, you know, as you're saying that, I realize that I, I feel like I'm doing it wrong if I'm, if I'm doing my psychological stuff, you know? Well, don't, don't do it when you're meditating. Yeah. Do it whenever you want to. And, and don't, you know, don't tell anybody who's going to tell you it's wrong. Because <laughs> it's not right or wrong. It's what works, what's skillful. Mm. And, and, you know, it's uh, the Buddha was sometimes called the great doctor. And, and Buddhism has its own psychological understanding. I think Jack Cornfield wrote a book about it even. So mm. you could always go check Jack. And Jack's a psychologist, right? So he knows about that. Okay. Yes, thank you. Great, thank you. Okay, Paul Irving, you, you've come alive and you're, you're here. Please uh, unmute yourself. Okay, let's let's hope it works this time. Yes. <laughs> so, um, thank you for the talk. I'm uh, really, really curious about uh, doing retreat during the time of COVID, and yeah. particularly, how do you do that? How do you set it up when you live in a shared space? You tell everybody before, you, there's a lot of different skillful means that you put into place, including telling the people you're gonna be on retreat and you're not gonna to talk to them unless it's an emergency or essential, but otherwise you're silent the whole time. And then, and then also you get food ahead of time and you prepare food ahead of time. So you don't have to do so much cooking and cleaning no, you have to do the cleaning. So there's, you have a work meditation when you're at home, right? And then also you could um, do walking in one room or set one room up that you're going to be by yourself if you have that kind of space. And then also you do walking meditation outside and you could do formal walking meditation you know, lifting, moving, placing, if you have that kind of space. If you don't, then do Utejaniya style walking meditation where you just walk and you're aware. And th things like that. You hear how I'm giving you context. And yeah. To your knowledge, is there any, um, you know, like, uh, I, I imagine the longer that COVID goes on and the more retreats that are done, there's all kinds of little tips and tricks that seem to emerge. Is there any yeah. place where that wisdom is uh, accumulated that you know of? Spirit Rock sends out a whole thing with each retreat about how to do it. Great. How to, how to make your home the temple and how to function in the temple. Great. Thank you. Sure. Good. Glad you got to talk <laughs> and that we got to see you. Eric, please unmute yourself. Hi, Eugene. Hello, everyone. Hi. Um, just a little, uh, just a follow-up comment uh, to to Lori. Um, I'm a I'm a psychotherapist, and in in our training before our group, we would read an invocation written for therapists by uh, by Technahan. Uh -huh. And I that he wrote a book that particularly for 
for psychotherapy and and I find that so many of the um, premises of, of Buddhism are so um, parallel and intertwined with with psychology, especially how many of us practice in the Bay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I, I, I heard you mention Sandra, uh, I, I, I'm hoping to pronounce her name right. I probably didn't pronounce okay. Tekahan's name right. Miatra? Maitri. Maitri, yes. Uh, just reading her book on the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram like a night ago. Yeah, Great book. fantastic. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really, really good. Very helpful. And it's interesting because the Enneagram is not psychology even though it fits really well. But that's an interesting, and I love the Enneagram. It's very helpful, really. And everybody, I'll say this to everybody, learn about the Enneagram, because you see a different, it's a different personality typology than psychology, even though they may have resonances. And what happens is, um, you, you see that each person has their own enneotype on the enneagram. There's nine types. And um, uh, I have my type and my wife has her type. And it's great in relationship because sometimes I see, oh, that's just her type. That's not her, right? Yeah, you get it, right? So in relationship, See, and this is just a skillful means for the same thing, to be free from suffering. Because then it's like, oh, I don't take it personally because she's doing this and acting that way. Oh, that's her enneotype. And when she sees it, she can relax and not be bound to it, which is the same for me and my enneotype, which is the same that's true for a neurosis. When we see it, we're not bound to it or we can start to free ourselves from the psychological cathexis to that, to that psychological mode. Uh, yeah, great, great. No, it's really fun. I love the Enneagram so much. Here, it's, this is a personal story, but the Enneagram, I'd studied it for years because in the Diamond Approach, you really use the Enneagram as Sandra displays, right? And it's got a spiritual di dimension which, um, which um, uh, Eric is reading. I think you're reading that one, yeah. Spiritual dimension of the Enneagram. And what really amazed me was when I had my accident and I had a brain injury and I got totally unplugged. That You might not know this about me, Eric, but I had a, a mild, what they call a mild traumatic brain injury. And I got really unplugged and Eugene was gone. I was gone for a while. It wasn't like I was aware Eugene was gone. Eugene was gone for a while. And, uh, and then slowly I came back, but it was like, it was a little like being reborn. I had a little, you know, near death experience and then rebirth or something like that. But what was amazing was to watch my enneotype come back. Like some things started, certain things started happening. And I was like, and I, and I was, I noticed it, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't, and then at some point it's like, oh, that's my enneotype. That's not me. And it was so clear. It gave me so much more respect for the Enneagram, which I can't remember technically. Maybe Sandra says it in her book, but I can't. 
the Enneagram was an ancient spiritual Sufi or Samoon brotherhood, something like that from a whole, you know, spiritual tradition that I'm not that familiar with, right? I'm not a Sufi and I'm not from the Sarmoon Brotherhood who is some kind of mystical group who lived in the world at some point, but, but it's an amazing teaching that is still helpful. So those are a few thoughts given you brought the Enneagram into the room. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, Ben, there you go, Ben. Howdy, Ben. Unmute, Ben. Hi, Eugene. Uh, first, um, I am a Sufi um, uh -huh. and also a Gurdjieffian, uh -huh. as you know. Uh -huh. And the Enneagram is originally from the Sarmoon Brotherhood. And, okay, um, got it. and it was, Gurdjieff used it. Yeah, extensively, and its original intent was just. Wait, uh, wait, wait! Gurdjieff was a, 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 a spiritual teacher from the early 20th century, and yeah, um, yeah, yes, he died in 1949, and yeah, and, his teaching uh, in France originated uh, in in the 20s, I think, to start. Yeah, and and a very very interesting and strange teacher. No offense or anything. Very, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of his teaching really had to do with being present with all of your parts, just similar to the Buddha, you know, your body, in body, uh -huh. in mind, and in feeling. Yeah. Um, but he was he was impacted by the Sarmoon Brotherhood. Is that correct? He yeah he he stayed with them and uh -huh. got it for a time, and and other brotherhoods too that are kind of hidden hidden brotherhoods. Yeah, um, in the Caucasus and other places that are right. relative that aren't easily accessible, yeah. um, and the original intent was actually just showing, just presenting a process of transformation, um, not personality types. That started with a Caso. Um, with the a, what? It didn't originally um, demonstrate personality types or essence types. It it was just a symbol showing a process, um, uh -huh. combining uh, the octave and the triad. Um, okay. Okay. Well, don't go into too much detail now, Ben. Let's see. What what else do you want to say? Okay. I wanted I wanted to get. Uh, first, I wanted to thank you for sharing the retreat with us because I wanted, I wanted to be in the recent retreat that you were part of in Spirit Rock and I couldn't mm -hmm. be there. Um, yeah. And I don't think that that's the retreat you're talking about now. No, but, but it doesn't matter. That, that's what I'm bringing here is the retreat that I just- Yeah, and I really, really appreciate that because I, I, I could feel, I could kind of feel into it. Um, <laughs> And I wanted to read something from a book called Non-Duality, It's Not What You Think by Matthew Flickstein. Oh yeah, I know Matt Flickstein from years ago. Yeah. Yeah, okay, but make it short. It is short. Good. It's just in the, chap the beginning of the chapter, waking up. Mm -hmm. um, why is it so difficult to discover that non-dual non reality has always been the truth of our lives? 
no one really knows. And why are some of us so driven to discover this truth for ourselves? Again, no one knows. Is life preparing everyone to wake up, although we cannot see it from our limited perspective? No one knows this either. <laughs> I love that he says that. When waking up does happen, the answers to these questions are still unknown. But the questions themselves cease. Life is just the way it is. And for those who are awake, that is quite enough. It's okay. And I wanted to say, you, you asked what, what we love. I want to say, I love life. And I think life mm -hmm. is love. Um, mm -hmm. And Beautiful. it's especially apparent when I'm in nature. There's the duality of my of me disappears. I'm a part of all of that. And that's... Mm -hmm a part of me and it, right. it's so, so apparent. Yeah, beautiful. No, it's true. Life is love and love is life. And I just have to say something about Matt, Matthew Flitstein, who I appreciate what he said. He's a non-dualist, but that is not the end of the story either, which right. is the one thing about uh, Matt that is, I, I don't agree with, and I don't agree there are no more questions. There are endless questions to discover reality. And, and the mystery is part of the endlessness of reality. And that's part of the beauty of reality. It's an ongoing discovery of the truth, of reality, of the Dharma. It doesn't end. That's something that Asaida Utejaniya is really good about. I appreciate that he's willing to talk about the ongoing realization that happens instead of, oh, you get there and then it's all the non-dual. I mean, there's a non-dual and there's a dual and there's beyond dual and non-dual. <laughs> and it's all good. And, you know, I, I, I agree with what you said. I, I think what he was talking about is, is a particular stage and, yeah. Um, it's okay. Also, I'm just, you got to remember, I'm trying to give context for bigger than what he said. That's all. And I'm going to keep going, Ben. Absolutely true. Okay. It's magic um, and, and questions are in, they just go on. Okay. Great. I, Thank I you. I'm going to keep going, Ben. Is somebody else with their hand up? I want to make sure she gets in here. Hi, Sarah. Please unmute yourself. Hi there. Um, Hi. Thanks for the class. I just, I wanted to share since uh, Frank was supposed to be here tonight. I haven't, yeah. haven't, haven't been to this group for a while, but I just was called to share that um, it was a couple years ago when his book came out and he came and spoke at the Sunday night and I, I got his book and it was on the night of my father's birthday and my father's older, he was, you know, in his early eighties and you know, we'd start talking a little bit about death and my father's very open and curious mm -hmm. spiritually and has been in a lot of different types of spiritual paths. And so that's one thing we have had in common. And um, so I got the book and I sent it to my dad and, um, he, you know, we talked about, I read the book and then I sent it to my dad and it's just, you know, it's a really beautiful conversation. It really kind of opened the door for us to talk about mm -hmm. death. And he, mm -hmm. he passed away a couple months ago mm -hmm. and, um, slow you know, it's just, oh, slow down. 
the grief is part of the love, right? And so yeah. we want to be very respectful of the mm. moment when it's here, because yeah. it brings your dad in the room, and we get to love him too in that way through you. Yeah. Hmm. So. Um, when my siblings were asking me what I wanted from my dad, I just, I just, all I wanted was one thing. And I, and I kind of got the book for him knowing that I would get it back someday. So um, anyway, I just, yeah, so I haven't, I haven't gotten it yet, but I just, it was going to be, um, you know, I was looking forward to seeing Frank and thinking about that. So I just wanted to bring that into the room to, I'm happy to drag, for... I'm happy to drag Frank back here to see if <laughs> he feels okay. No problem. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. And for people who don't know, it's a book called Five Invitations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's Frank's teaching about life and death, really. And uh, you know, and Frank is good. He's beautiful. And yeah. we I'm glad we share that love for him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Okay, Faye, you're going to be the last one, I think. Let's go, Faye. Unmute yourself. Okay. Hi, Eugene. Hi, everybody. Um, just, I mean, a, the question of what do we love? And uh, it's, it's um, I don't know if I want to be vulnerable to talk about this, but um, my answer was going to be I love life. Uh -huh. um, I've, you know, been in a really difficult circumstances due to kind of brain trauma for the past year I haven't been left my house now for almost a year and delivering with a lot of suffering and so I've thought a lot about death choosing death or choosing life and but then when I was sitting here thinking it's like because I'm like yeah I love life but I don't like life as it is right now right um, that's it's, one of them paradox yeah. that we're talking about which is the love is bigger than what we don't like and of course the kind of dukkha you've been dealing with nobody likes that and of course you don't like that you have full permission not to like it but don't what i just want to encourage is that love of life is still here you may not be loving the particulars of what life brings, but again, similar to what I said, maybe it was to happy about the small moments where everything is okay, which can be very small at times. I'm assuming you can see me. I'm holding up my fingers very close together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the, those small moments are still good. But it's hard when uh, so many moments are so difficult. But they're still there. And to really yeah. land there for a moment. Every moment you land there is good. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, yeah, thanks. I know you're out of time and stuff, but it's just. Um... It's okay. I can, I'll shut the. I'm a good with the clock if we go over a minute or two. Um, yeah, I just kind of got tears in my eyes when, because it's like, yeah, I really do love life. 
Yeah. And so and slow faith, feel the love for life. Because that's here and that's alive here. And the tears are part of that expression. Yeah. And I, I just want to say too, I'm I'm really grateful to you and to my Buddhist practice because when you did that little thing with your hand, those little moments, yeah, that's when I get them is when I'm meditating. Yeah. And can just remember that it's just this moment. It's just this moment. Even when in the moment's difficult, it's still just this moment. And then when it's not difficult, we see we can relax a little more and just be here. But it's like, I guess what I was thinking is that love of life, though, that that's not being right here in the present. Uh, say that again, Faye. That when I say love life, um, mm -hmm. I f feel like then, well, that's not really being in the present because <laughs> when I say that's love the, life, this isn't what I'm thinking of. Right, but but you you love life, you may not be liking it. They're different. Yeah. The yeah. love here, the love may never actually leave if we look at that level of reality. Hmm. But it doesn't mean you're going to like it. That's for sure. I, you know. I, and I'm not dealing with the kind of dukkha you're dealing with right now, but even myself, I mean, even life is good, totally good. And still there's times I don't like what's happening and I'm mad or angry or sad or, or bereft about what's happening. But still the love of life is here, even when I don't like life. Yeah. This is something good for me to think about. Okay. Thank you. Think about it and feel into it also. Think about it from your head and your heart and your belly. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you. So let's just take a minute, everybody, and we'll do a little sharing of merit. offering uh, our good wishes based on our good fortune that we can be here together and practice the Dharma, that we're alive here together. That life that's sitting in each seat, whether it's Faye or Eric or Paul or Happy or whoever it might be, even Eugene, Ben, that this goodness of life is right here and we, we love life. And sending our good wishes to go out in every direction. May the, may the blessing we have of just to be able to be here and be alive, may it go out in every direction, sending it in every realm and every world. First of all, sending our blessings to our good friend, Frank. May he be well and happy and peaceful. And may all beings be well and happy and peaceful. May all beings be safe. 
May all beings be awakened and discover their true nature, Buddha nature. May we all awaken together. May all beings be free. to be here with you all thank you uh, just, just a reminder that we, you know we appreciate the donations to sf insight i believe nina posted where you can make donations though so thank you for your generosity of course the generosity is just another flavor of love and so the teachings are given generously and your donations are given generously so thank you Thank you all. A lot of love. Take good care. I'll see you next week. Hey, anybody, if you have any topics you want me to talk about, send an email to SF Insight about what you want me to talk about, because I love to do talks based on what you're interested in. Okay, everybody. Bye. Bye, Eugene. Everyone, Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Eugene. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cherry Deans. Cherry Deans, stay on a second. I have a question for you. Cherry Deans. Oh, bye, Leanne. Cherry Deans, can you stay on? Can you unmute? Cherry? I'm not hearing you, Cherry. I would like to talk to you. I have a question for you. I'm not seeing you here either. How could I unmute you? Oh, there you are. Oh yeah, I just see video. I don't see how to unmute you. Uh, no, Cherry, you're still here. So you're sticking around. Let's see. I have a question for you. I'll start a video pin. Hi, my host. Yeah, I, I really, I want to know if you have a sister named. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.